We're going to be looking in Mark chapter 15 this morning at a message I call Crucify Him. Let's all stand together this time, please. Mark chapter 15 and verse 17. And they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with the reed and did spit upon him and bowing their knees worshipped him. And when they'd mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. May God bless the reading of his word today. It's my prayer. You may be seated. We have been preaching through the gospel of Mark and our message is on Sunday morning. And it brings us to the trial of Jesus that we saw last week. So we pause for a moment to consider the audacity of a trial in which the creation puts the creator on trial. When men set out to murder their maker. What an audacious set of circumstances. And now this morning we move from the trial to his crucifixion. This horrific but familiar story of Jesus, the Son of God, crucified. We remember... How that Jesus stood trial before the law of Moses through the official high court of the Jews. He would stand trial before the law of man, the civil law, before Pontius Pilate and Herod. Before man's law, Jesus was accused of treason and he was exonerated. As Pilate announced the official verdict, I find no fault in him. There is nothing in him worthy of death. That was Pilate. Before the law of Moses, he was exonerated because they couldn't find the required two or three witnesses who could agree on anything. Finally, the high priest himself would stand up and address Jesus. Are you indeed the the son of God? Are you the king of the Jews? And he admitted that he was. They call that blasphemy. It wasn't blasphemy. It was the truth. He was and is the Son of God. He was and is the King of Israel, the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. It wasn't a lie. It was the truth. Mark has spent a lot of time writing all of these things that Jesus did. And there's no explanation for him doing those things except that he is the Son of God. And so he has demonstrated that truth again and again and again. We observed last week that when he stood trial, he stood in our place. And he took our place. Because he was taking our place, he offered no defense, though there was a defense. You see, there's no defense for us. We are unquestionably, undeniably guilty. We saw how that Barabbas was released. He was guilty, but in this trial, the guilty go free and the guiltless condemn. Our God is indeed a God of mercy, isn't he? Jesus died then for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And we're going to be looking at that over the next couple of weeks. I'm considering these texts as a unit, though they are lengthy. 
because they represent these two events, his trial and then his crucifixion. And the last one will be his actual death that we'll consider next week. If you've watched Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, and some of you have and some of you haven't, I'm not recommending it, I'm just talking about it. If you have, you probably figured out that it did not follow the biblical merit narrative. Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, was built around the 12 stages of the cross uh, that are well familiar to any student of Catholicism. Some of their ideas were biblical. Many of them were traditional and highly enhanced by tradition. I bring this up only because Gibson, in his depiction of the passion of the sufferings of Christ, uh, focused in on all of the gruesome and gory details of the crucifixion. But when you read the narrative in Mark and even in the other Gospels, you don't see that. There are no long descriptions of the bloody condition of Jesus, how horribly mutilated he was by the scourging and by the time on the cross. There's none of that. It's all stated rather bluntly. They crucified him. They scourged him. They beat him. They spit on him. Mark spends a lot more time emphasizing the people and their mockery. Their mockery of the Son of God. Mark, you remember, was writing for a Roman audience and the Romans didn't need a graphic description of scourging. They'd seen it. They didn't need a graphic description of crucifixion. They'd seen it. And so Mark would focus on the people who were involved in Jesus' death. I, I can't really say the people who were responsible for his death any more than I'm comfortable saying that Jesus was executed. Nobody took Jesus' life from him. He gave it freely. And if we want to know who was responsible for the death of Jesus, Isaiah the prophet told us long ago. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Isaiah 53. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Isaiah the prophet. It is this promised justification of many that the writer of Hebrews famously spoke of in Hebrews chapter 12. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. The joy that was set before him was the many, the many who would be brought to justification. Jesus saw that. And therefore, he endured the cross and despised the shame. He endured what the writer of Hebrews called then the contradiction of sinners against himself. 
We see there in this incredible work of God to bring redemption played out as God the Son. God the Son subjects Himself and endures the wrath of sinful humanity against Him. But in a strange way that we can't fully explain, we see this incredible work of God to bring redemption as the full force of the wrath of God against sin that was being poured out upon Him. It's hard to imagine that both of those things were playing out. We see the wrath of sinful humanity being poured out on Jesus as the Son of God and all their rejection, all their hostility, all their hatred being heaped upon Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But it was also the wrath of God against sin that was being poured out upon Him. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. God the Son would be subjected to this kind of torturous death, this butchery of crucifixion. And yet it was in fact portraying the judgment of God against sinful humanity, he took our place at his trial. He took our place on the cross. Again, the writer of the book of Hebrews gives us some discussion about this. In Hebrews 10, 29, of how much worse punishment do you suppose? Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing that's unclean, and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Many people struggle with eternal punishment. The whole concept of hell and of God's judgment has been deliberately abandoned in many pulpits today. There's nothing else that I can say. It has been abandoned by choice, with deliberation. But if you take this lingering look at humanity, at that incredible moment when the Son of God faces the full force of rejecting humanity, All of a sudden, the eternal punishment of hell takes on a different perspective. They did this to the Son of God. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. God so loved the world. And look what the world Last week we saw that there was only two places for humanity. We must either confess him or condemn him. One or the other. So again this morning we see there are really only two places for humanity. We are either on the cross or we are the crucifiers. You say what do you mean on the cross? 
I mean what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 when he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified with Christ. If you've been saved, you were crucified with Christ. I'm saved. I was crucified with Christ. That is how we have the forgiveness of sins and the hope of heaven alive in our hearts. We were crucified with Christ. It's only two places. We're either on the cross with Him because we believed on Him. And we've received that incredible thing that He did when He took our place. We're either there with Him. Or we're down there with those folks that Mark is going to lay out for us so clearly, so carefully today. The whole idea that God the Son endured this contradiction against Himself has just blown me away this week in studying this and reading these passages again and again and again, especially the scourging. Such a brutal thing. Jesus had said, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. He wasn't going to be stoned, He was going to be crucified. But scourging, it was kind of an add on. You know, when they scourged a man, they either pulled him up by tying their wrist up and holding them up as high as they could so that their feet would just barely touch the ground. They'd stretch those back muscles and that back skin as taut as they could get it. And then start beating on them with a whip that had pieces of metal engraved in it, flogging them. Most of the time, there were two. The Jewish law said only 40, but Romans had no such law. They went as long as they wanted to. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. I'm going to tell you about the fifth or sixth time that they would have laid that thing on my back. I think I'd have let loose a lightning bolt or two. This was God in the flesh. The Son of God. He submitted to this. He could have stopped it. And he didn't. And it went on and on and on. And then to the cross. How did it play out? Mark tells us. First group of people or persons that he's going to talk about is represented by Pilate, and we'll just call Pilate what he was. He was a coward. John chapter 19, verse 8, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And verse 15, Mark chapter 15, so Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Pilate knew what was right, and he knew Jesus was right. He knew that he had done nothing wrong, and yet he refused to take the step that should have been taken. He was a judge, but he refused to pass judgment. When you read the narrative, you'll say how that Pilate deferred that judgment to the people. 
When you read about the history of Pilate, you'll find out that he was a ruthless man. And in fact, he would be removed from his position ultimately for the murder of a group of Syrians, unarmed Syrians that he set the troops on. And he'd be called before Tiberius to try to answer for that. There's a lot of apocryphal writings about Pontius Pilate. You don't have to go to those. You can see just what was mentioned in the New Testament about him and what we see later. Pilate could be ruthless, and he was. We don't know why suddenly he was so afraid, so fearful and appeasing. It may have been the vision that his wife had who warned him that she had suffered many things in a dream because of this man. Had nothing to do with it. It might have been Pilate's own paganism at work, causing superstition. He had heard about all the miracles that Jesus had done. He knew that something was different about him. He he sensed it. He knew it. And maybe that fear came through. It doesn't really matter. It was human cowardice, pragmatism, refusal to take a stand, refusal to do what he knew was the right thing to do. And that is put prominently on display in our passage today. How did Jesus end up being crucified because of the cowardice of Pontius Pilate and others? We move then from Pilate to the crowd. Verse 11, the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, what then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, crucify him. Remember, this was very early in the morning. Very early. By nine o'clock in the morning, he was going to be nailed to the cross. So by the time this event, for this to play out, this was early, early, early In the morning, where did this crowd come from? And why was it so one-sided? Do you think that maybe some people had arranged this? You think maybe they had planned it this way? That they had brought together a crowd? Maybe even bought off a crowd? Who knows? We'll never know. We know that the chief priest and the religious leaders stirred them up because the Bible tells us that. But when you hear the crowd, when Pilate puts that out to them, and who are you going to want? They all, all of them cried for Barabbas. All of them cried, crucify him. You think after three years of performing miracles all over this country, there would have been somebody showed up in the crowd that said, give us Jesus. But they all cried for Barabbas. And they all cried crucify. Where are you Zacchaeus? Where are you Jairus? Where are you Bartimaeus? You didn't have any trouble calling out to Jesus just a few days ago. We know where Simon Peter and the apostles were. They had all fled. Here's a crowd. Not even any from the 5,000 who ate his bread and fish. They, they were all gone. Matthew adds this detail in Matthew 27 and 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood on us and 
be on us and on our children. This is a prime example, you see, of how a crowd can be stirred up and get fired up for a cause. And how bloodthirsty people can become. And if we can identify with the political expediency of Pontius Pilate who knew what was right, but he didn't do what was right because he was afraid to take a stand when it was time to take a stand. And maybe we've been there a bit. Maybe there's been times where we knew we should have said something or we knew we should have taken a stand for Jesus Christ or maybe we should have witnessed to somebody and we didn't. Maybe we could identify with that a little bit. But I want us to see that what was happening and playing out in this crowd is still in the hearts of humanity. Seems like every time I turn on the news these days, I see another crowd screaming in the streets for what they're calling women's health rights. Have y'all heard that? Make no mistake about it, folks. They're screaming for blood. They're talking about the killing of the innocent babies. That's what they're talking about. Isn't it interesting? They're calling it women's health rights. Companies all over the country and in our own state are lining up to add their voices and their money to the effort, committing themselves to paying the price for somebody to go and even right up to full term have their baby aborted. Women's health indeed. You see, we see all this and a thousand times more in a crowd gathered before Pontius Pilate that day so long ago. And if that crowd was stirred up then, let's understand that crowds are still being stirred up in our country today. And let's just take a note of how bloodthirsty they can be and how evil they can be. How they can be stirred up for blood. How people in positions of power are ready, willing, and able to generate it and exploit it. See, this crowd coming before Jesus that day was not an accident. It was well planned. So there were crowds then that were stirred up and exploited by people in power. That was part of it. They were cowards displaying political expediency rather than standing up for what they knew was right. Then there's the cruelty. Verse 15, Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. The soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. This was uh, Pilate's palace. And they called together the whole band. Uh, the whole band uh, it might have a translation that would refer to this as a battalion uh, in the Roman way of looking at things, uh, they had a legion that was 6,000 soldiers. A battalion was a tenth of a legion, so it was 600. They called together 600 soldiers in that huge praetorium hall. He's already been scourged. And the whole band then clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed and spit on him. And they bowed their knees and worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him. Laid him out to crucify him. Now the soldiers were ordered to scourge Jesus and they were ordered to crucify Jesus. But... They weren't ordered to do any of this. 
called together that whole battalion then. They took uh, some soldiers' old robe. Once it had been scarlet, no doubt, because that was uh, the proud color of the Roman legions. But now it's faded, kind of purplish and old and worn. So that woolen, rough woolen robe was put on a scourge back. That crown of thorns. Mm. Cruelty on top of cruelty. Mocking humiliation, spitting upon him, smiting him. Don't miss it. This is the Son of God. Before this battalion of soldiers, pure, evil, brutal cruelty without one shred of compassion. This is still in the hearts of sinful humanity. We see it running rampant in the streets of America today and around the world. Cruelty, pure, evil, brutal cruelty with no compassion. We see it time after time with one mass shooting after another mass shooting after another after another. Pure evil, brutal cruelty with no compassion at all, none. You might have seen last week a man named James Lambert, 72-year-old man, was attacked by a group of laughing teens in Philadelphia who knocked him down and beat him with a traffic cone while they recorded it on their phones and laughed. And they laughed. They beat him to death. 72 years old. In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, USA. Last week. I'll say it again. You see the same kind of cruelty in the hearts of people. And it is running rampant in our nation right now. Cowards with the political expediency, the crowd inflamed to a bloodthirsty mob, the cruelty of the soldiers. And last, there was the casual, the indifferent, apathetic. Mark 15, 29, and those who passed by, they, they, they didn't go to the crucifixion. The Bible tells us that when they crucified Jesus, they took him to the place. The place was called the place of the skull. Uh, where it was exactly has been in dispute for centuries. If you go to Jerusalem, they'll take you to that grotto down there and they'll show you that place. But in the days of Jesus, the place was on a main thoroughfare. It could have been a curve and a road or a major crossroads. We don't know, but people who were coming into Jerusalem would certainly pass by it. Here were people. It was Passover. They were going there to worship, going there to celebrate. As they passed by, carrying on their business, they blasphemed him. Wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes. You can hear their mocking laughter across the centuries. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. 
And even those who were crucified with him reviled him. These folks had perhaps not been in the crowd that cried out crucify him. But now here they are. Passing by and looking like the witnesses of a car crash. Their mockery then blends in with that from the chief priest. Surveying their handiwork with glee. No pity from them. No. No compassion. They could look at that brutality that he had suffering and the beating that he endured and now see him nailed to the cross and raised up before all and you could almost hear the hiss of the devil himself's voice as they cry, why don't you come down from the cross and save yourself? If you don't recognize that as coming from the devil, you need to look at it again. Save yourself. Save yourself. He could have done that, but that issue had been settled in Gethsemane hours before. These also were casual, though gleeful observers. They said, let's go down there and watch him bleed for a while. Well, it's time to go. It's Passover, and we've got to go get to church. Don't forget, folk, these were religious people. Time to go to the temple. we got business to do. So we see the trial of Jesus, and now... We see the crucifixion of Jesus as Mark played it out for us, very matter-of-factly telling us they scourged him, they crucified him, they, they beat him, they mocked him. Again and again, they mocked him. There are many things we did not cover today that some of them I'll cover next week in our message, but today we see him crucified, what got him to the cross the Son of God facing the wrath of God and experience paradoxically the, the wrath and rejection of humanity. We sometimes see sin and evil glorified. And it's put on before us with all the glitter and glam and made to, to look so much fun, so enjoyable. With all the lights and all the rejoicing. But when you look at the cross, you see sin with its working clothes on. All the glitter and glam is stripped away. And we see the sinfulness and evil in humanity. When we see these things this morning, we remind ourselves that the further that humanity gets from God and the more hostile they become toward Jesus, the more these same things will be in evidence because the hearts of men without Jesus Christ are just as evil as they've ever been. We see what an evil crowd can do. That's in the heart of humanity. We see what cowardice and refusal to do what's right can do. That's in the heart of humanity. We see how pure, blind, evil, cruelty can erupt. That's in the heart of people too. We see what casual apathy can do. That's still in our hearts. God has a one-word answer for humanity. Redemption. Redemption. Isn't that amazing? Redemption. 
redemption. We look around at the United States of America today and we wonder, how in the world are we ever going to solve all this mess? I'll tell you what people need. People need to be saved. God sees it. God saw it all and he played it out right there before us. What they need is redemption. What we deserve is eternal judgment in hell. That's what we deserve. But amazingly... God offers redemption. One day those who reject Jesus Christ, all of them, will take their rightful place with his crucifiers as the tables are turned. And one day every knee will bow to Jesus Christ and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Humanity that passed judgment on their creator. Humanity that then put this awful time of torture and brutality and evil upon Jesus the Son of God. Their verdict was for a day and another day and another day. But God's verdict. Is for all eternity. For all eternity. In a place the Bible calls hell. We're going to wrap up looking at a couple of passages and be done. Interesting part of the story. Just a little part of the story I love to see. Mark just stuck this in there for us. Holy Spirit told him to. Verse 21. They compelled a certain man, Simon... A Cyrenian, just somebody, just some guy. Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus. As he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. Simon, he was coming out of the country, going into Jerusalem. Hey, you, come over here. This guy... Either can't bear his cross anymore or he can't do it fast enough. We don't know which one. Carry the cross for him. He shouldered it and did it. Had a couple of boys. And why did Mark give us those names? Well, you turn over to Romans chapter 16 and verse 13. And remember, see, Mark was writing for a Roman audience. And this was going to be read before the Roman churches. And apparently... They knew who Alexander and Rufus were. There's one of them. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother. Now, what had happened to Simon and Alexander by that time, we don't know. But apparently they had become believers. And, and we know at least Rufus was in the church at Rome. Only God could put something like that together. You know what? Here was old Simon just minding his business, going up from Cyrene, made a long trip, headed up to the temple. And, but he saw enough that day, apparently, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And here, Mark is writing this out. Oh, yeah, by the way, you, you know this guy. This is Alexander and Rufus's daddy. Carried the cross of Jesus. I'll tell you, Simon, if, he, if that is indeed the way it played out, he was saved by the same blood that rolled down his shirt. Same blood that saved me. Maybe God's doing something like that for you today. Maybe it's somebody watching from home online. Maybe it's somebody in this building. You didn't realize that God was sending you to this place 
to listen to this message. You didn't know that you were going to be confronted by the truth of Jesus Christ and how he took your place on the cross. God works in this way all the time. All the time. To bring things to pass that we could never do on our own. And here in this story, in the midst of all this drama, here is Simon carrying a cross. I want you to listen then as I read. I don't have this on the PowerPoint for you, so just listen. To Simon Peter's reflection from near the end of his life. 1 Peter chapter 2. For to this you were called... Because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile back. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by his wounds. You were healed. For you were a sheep going astray but now have been returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls Aren't you glad, dear people, today that Jesus Christ is your shepherd and your guardian? You were a sheep going astray, but the Lord, the Lord God laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Thank you, Jesus. We can't say it enough. Let's stand together, please.